0: Amen. Bless the praise team this morning. It was awesome. They did a great job leading us into worship today. I loved that uh, second song, too. That's a new one on me. I hadn't heard that before. That was just great. And uh, I don't know where Adam went, but, uh, man, I leaned over some. You know, I said, you know, it was a day you couldn't have paid him to say two words in church. And uh, he was over here preaching this morning. Man, it was awesome, awesome. I've told him many times, when he's up here, he's in his element. He is a God-called minister to minister to the Lord. It's just cool to get to watch it. Amen? You want to stand with me again? Hallelujah. you getting your exercise in this morning? Glory. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. I want to talk to you about the transformed life this morning. And uh, you hear that phrase a lot. Around church, you know that changed my life. My life's been transformed. Uh, again, Adam was used, I believe, my Lord, to, to to confirm what I'm preaching. He, said, he talked about the renewed mind. Do you hear him? And that's what I'm talking about today, because that's the way that the Bible says that that we manifest that inward transformation is by renewing our minds. Uh, you can change your address. You can change your clothes change your vocation. You can even change your spouse. But you'll never change your life until you change the way you think. Amen? Amen. Amen. Unless you change the way you think, the things that you're experiencing presently will perpetuate themselves continually in your life. And uh, they'll never change. True change, lasting change, comes by the renewing of the mind. That's what the Bible says. Romans 12 Verses 1 and 2, New King James Version says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, he's talking to us believers, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a what? Living, not dead, but a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. let me pause right there. Some people read this from a legalistic, from a mixed background. In other words, they've they've been taught and set under a teaching that is a mixture of law and grace. Uh, you saved by grace, kept by law, which is not true. And when they read a verse like this, they read it as something that they have to do to make themselves holy. They have to live a certain way. They have to perform in a certain way. And then they also see that they have to make themselves, or rather keep themselves, acceptable to God. And that if they live in a different way, then, then God won't accept them. He will turn his back on them. They will have to do something to get back in proper relationship with God, all of which are religious lies. But those of us that's been exposed to the grace of God, read what it says here. It says that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy. So out the window goes that your body's not holy. Some people teach that only part of you that is holy is your spirit. That's not what this says. It says you present your body because it's holy and acceptable to me. You present it as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed. Do not let the world con you into being formed into its image. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now I've heard preachers teach that there are three wills of God. Please don't ever believe that. That's a lie. There is not a good will of God, an acceptable will, and then there's the perfect will of God. None of that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that you may prove it. Now how, how would you and I be allowed the privilege of proving what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? The word prove here is the word Greek word that means to authenticate. Think of it like this. Think if you brought a painting to a, to a, uh, uh, someone's going to sell a, 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 you know, a Michelangelo painting or, or, you know, a famous painting. Okay. You have to have that painting authenticated. that, That it is really an original painting. Do you understand what I mean? In other words, someone authenticates the authenticity of that painting. What God is saying is it is your and I privilege, but it's only going to happen if we allow our minds to be renewed into what really happened when we were saved. Because if you can receive this, your spirit got born again, but your mind didn't get saved. God didn't save your mind. Your mind gets renewed. So in other words, when you got born again, as soon as you got born again, you didn't have your brain washed You can still remember really bad stuff that you did previously, right? And you still can. Uh, But your mind is renewed, right? And God says, I want you to be able, through the renewing of your mind, to authenticate what my good, perfect will is, acceptable will is, okay? So, Father, we love you. Help us as we approach the word. Let it become life. Let it become flesh and be manifested. In us and in those that see us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn around and wave at somebody. Tell them, hey, good seeing you in the corner. No, I saw so Grace Point. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, and then I want to come back to Romans 12, but Ephesians 4, guys, verse 17. We're going to go verses 17 through 24 of the book of Ephesians. And listen to what Paul writes here. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Notice how many times it says mind. In the what? In the futility of their mind. Uh, this, what, is the, what does a futility mind, if we can say it that way, look like? Having their understanding darkened. You ever heard somebody say, well, I'm kind of in the dark about that. They mean they don't understand it. They've not not been informed. And it says being alienated. In other words, if you don't have your mind renewed, you're going to be alienated. You're going to be cut off. You're going to be an alien from the life of God. Now, God's given that to you, but if you don't allow your mind to be renewed, you're you're going to miss a lot of what God's done for you. That they will be alienated from the life of God. Why? Because God wants them alienated? No, because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But he said, you've not so learned in Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. That's the only place the truth is. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. He says that the truth is in Jesus and that you put off. Now, this is something we must do. You put off concerning your former conduct, your, your, your conduct. The old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed. Look, here's the word mind again. Be renewed in the spirit of your what? In your mind. What, and, and then it says, and that you put on, you got to put off something. The old way of thinking, the traditional way of thinking. You put that off and you let your mind be renewed. And that you put on the new man, the new man. God didn't put a paint job on the old you. He crucified the old you with Christ. You are dead with Christ. You do not have two natures. You, you do not, as a believer, still have a sin nature. They teach you that in churches, but that's a lie. The New Testament says that once you've been born again, you are now a partaker of his divine nature. You can yield yourself to the flesh, which is the old conduct. He says, don't do that. But put on the new man, look look at this, which was. Is was past tense, present, or future? Was is past, right? Okay, that you put on the new man, which was. Was, in the past, created, created. According to God. When you were born again, when you were created, You were created according to God. 1 John says, as he is, Jesus, as he is, so are we in this world. See, these verses just blows people's minds. And they're supposed to. Created according to God, look at this, in what? True Righteous. Now the world has a definition and religion has a definition of what righteousness, God said that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true righteousness and true holiness. See, there are some people that teach you that holiness is how you dress, how you, what you put on, what you don't put on, how long your dress is, how, how you do your hair. That, that's holiness. I was raised in, in my early part of my life. I don't mean defensive. I just have to have a story. My granddaddy was a wholeness Baptist preacher for 42 years. So until I was 12 years of age, we were raised in the wholeness Baptist church. And that meant no TV, no participating in the sports. You don't go to the movies. Women don't cut their hair. They don't wear britches. They don't put on makeup. Men wear long sleeves. They don't wear ties. You can't have facial hair. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Right? See, some of you don't know what that means. Glory to God, you were spared. I remember at, at 12 years of old when I joined not a wholeness church, but a Pentecostal church, I, they, it was a long process to join because they read all the rules. They said, we, you, uh, we are against mixed bathing. I remember hearing that as a 13-year-old when I joined the church, mixed bathing. I had to define what mixed bathing was. I thought that was when we were growing up, Mom made, you know, when you're little, you made us bathe together, save the water. Mixed bathing meant that males can't swim anywhere that females are swimming and vice versa. So the beach is out, swim pool's out, you can't do that. They had so many rules. I remember they read before me, they said, We are against the use of tobacco in any form. That was the part. I'm not making any of this stuff, that was the rule. And yet we had tobacco farmers sitting in our church. As long as you didn't dip it, chew it, smoke it, or whatever, you was, I guess it was legal to grow it and sell it to them that did. And I remember being a 13-year-old thinking, "That eh, this don't sound right. Now, as years went along in that denomination I was in, they later quit reading the rules because they got where nobody would join that once you read all the rules. See, that's not holiness. That's bondage. That's religion. Uh, Romans 12 again, and I want to read it to you from the Message Bible, the Message paraphrase. And just, I want you to listen because we won't have that one to go up, but listen to this. Romans 12 and 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. In other words, believe in what God's done. And don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, and he develops well-formed maturity in you. Isn't that wonderful? You did have it up. Miracles happen. Glory to God. So listen to the way Paul one time talked about immaturity. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. Everybody say spoke. When I, uh, I understood as a child and I thought as a child, now, notice how he says a child. Now, now Jesus said he wants us to be childlike. You understand that? But not to be childish. What this is talking about is childish. So when I was a child, I would speak first, understand second, and think about what I said third. <laughs> Do you see the backwardness of that? In other words, somebody with a childish, you can be 80 years old and be childish. He said, when I was a child, I would speak first without even understanding what I was talking about. we got a lot of people doing that right now in the world, in case you hadn't realized that. And they got the ability through Facebook and social media now to to post their speaking without thinking or understanding about what they're talking about. But he said, when I became a man, I put away those childish things. I mentioned last Sunday, Mark 7 and 13, where Jesus said, you make the word of God no effect. In other words, you cancel out the power of the word of God through your traditions that you've handed down. And traditional thinking, traditional thinking, and particularly if you've grown up like I have in church and around church, and, you know, and, and I don't mean that as a negative thing. It, I, you know, people, for the most part, were doing the best. They were just repeating what they had heard. And I don't mean there was some diabolical plan or scheme uh, by those that, you know, to, to, to derail us or get us off. They really thought. And many of the things that I preach today were things that, that I did not preach nor believe when I started preaching back in March of 1986 officially. Um, but traditional thinking, uh, you know, our traditions are nullifying or canceling out or alienating us from the life of God that should be flowing to us. One of the most profound, to me, video examples, so to speak, of a person that had their life transformed was, was the Apostle Paul. Now, he was called Saul, and in Acts 9, and I won't have the time to go through that, but it's basically, we're talking about Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, but it's the Damascus Road experience you hear it referred to. In other words, so, so after Jesus has ascended, Paul takes it upon himself to stamp out Christianity, and he is armed with all the legal authority and power to do so. And he is headed to Damascus to, and to take Christians in bondage. And later in the book of Acts, Paul actually says, when he's standing before the people, he, he says that, that I was standing there guarding the clothes of those that were stoning Stephen to death, and I gave my approval. He, he put many Christians in prisons, and, and, and they were bound, tortured, and killed. And Paul was behind that. And listen, Paul thought that he was doing that for God. So those people that flew those planes into Twin Towers in New York thought they were doing that for their God. Deception. People that are deceived don't know they're deceived. That's why it's called deception. And so Paul was deceived by religion and he was highly educated in religion and really the religion of the law. And the law is not evil because God gave the law but the law was weak in that it depended upon man keeping it. And there's never been but one man that has kept the law, and that was Jesus Christ, the man. He kept it. And then his keeping it has been accredited to our account. So in, in, in the story of the book of Acts, something I want you to see, most of you know if you've been in church about Paul's conversion, a great light came, knocked him off of the animal that he was you know, riding on, horse or whatever. He's lying in the ground, and he, can't, and he's blind, he, he was blinded by that, that experience. Physically, He couldn't see. But yet he sees more clearly than he's ever seen because he sees a vision and he sees Jesus. And, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you persecuting me? Um, Paul said, what do you want me to do, Lord? He, and so God gave him specific instructions. I want you to go to a street called Straight. There you will find a man named Ananias. And he will tell you what you must do. All right. So, so Paul has to get up out of the ground and has to stick out a hand because he's blind and he has to be led now. In other words, his life is not going like he thought it was going to go. He's not nearly as in charge and large as he thought he was. Uh, he can't control all the circumstances that surround him. He's not as bad as he thought he was. You ever had that in your life where you realize that you can't control everything that's going on around you? Huh? And, and so, so he, he, he goes to a specific street to a man named Ananias. Now, when Ananias is told by God that this man Paul is coming, or Saul, now some of you have been taught that God changed Saul's name to Paul. That's not true. The Bible never says that uh, because they're the same name. Saul is the Hebrew version of his name. Paul is the Greek version of his name. Now, there are people in the Bible that God changed their name. It just doesn't happen to be that Saul's one of them. Okay? And so even after the Damascus Road experience, God talks to him again several times in Scripture and he calls him by Saul. So, <clears throat> but the reason, well, okay, well, let me, I brought that up, so I need to finish it. Remember who God sent Paul to minister to and preach to? The Greeks, the Gentiles. So, in other words, it is my belief clearly that Paul changed his own name and began to use his Greek version of his name so that he would have a greater influence or inroad into those people that he was preaching to. He, he was preaching to the Greeks, so he used the Greek he, the Greek version of his name. Uh, <clears throat> so Paul is led to a man named Ananias. Ananias means the grace of God, God's favor, God's grace. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. <clears throat> when people are have been blinded, Thank you, baby. When people have been blinded by religion, they've been blinded by religion and they're doing things that are contrary to God, yet they think they're serving God, the only thing that could give sight back to those people is to have an encounter with grace. And isn't it something that God would use a man basically whose name means Jehovah has favored, God has graced, that he would use grace to open the blinded eyes of this apostle, this apostle-to-be. So what, what opened Paul's eyes? Grace opened his eyes. What opened my eyes? Grace opened my eyes. What did it open them to? It opened them to the, to the, to the, the power of the cross and what God accomplished. And so it's the same thing today. Now, when, when people have their minds set against the grace message, as it were, Grace is not a message. Grace is not a six-week teaching. Grace is not a doctrine. Grace is a person, and his name's Jesus. Uh, but, but if if people are opposed to it, they, uh, they got all these crazy names, hyper grace. Well, Paul taught hyper grace. He said abundant grace. He used the word abundant means hyper above. the, the, the grace of God is above anything you can imagine. When people, you hear the term people talking about, they, you know, this guy, this person, this lady, they fell from grace. They think that means that they did this or they did this sin or that sin. No, no, the, Paul said in Galatians, how you have fallen from grace is you go back to the law. When you try to please God and appease God and make yourself acceptable to God uh, by keeping rules, and he said you, at that moment, you in fact, have fallen from grace. The reason you can fall from grace is because grace is the highest, loftiest place in the realm of the kingdom. You're saved by grace. You're kept by grace. Amen? See, Ephesians 1 said, let, let me just, I just want to read it. Ephesians chapter 1 what verse, he, he says, verse 6, Paul says, to the praise of Of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You are never placed in a more favorable position with God than when you're born again, because Christ is now in you. There's not anything you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. Listen, because you didn't make yourself acceptable to God, God made you acceptable to God. And how did he do that? Because by the blood of Jesus, by Christ. And if you've been made acceptable to God, you cannot be made unacceptable to God. I've told you this over and over. God does not sit in a swivel chair. He does not have his face upon you. One day you sin, he turns his back upon you and then you he's waiting on you to do something and you know and now all your prayers are cut off god don't hear your prayers god's mad at you god don't like you god's angry with you the reason you're having problems on the job is because you sinned last week and you haven't repented sufficiently see all those are lies and then you have to you have to get back in proper fellowship they say with god and so you cry plead beg repent and now here god finally turns around and now my face is upon you again Oh, you sin again, uh, and can you see God just spins around all day with you? It's ridiculous. Religion is, teaches us that God never changes His face from you. He never closes His ear to your cry. He never stops looking and listening to everything you say to Him. Is this good today? Third John, chapter one, verse two. I'm giving you a lot of Bible today. It's okay. Okay, to preach the Bible here. Third John 1 and 2 says, "Beloved," that's Christians, that's us. Say, "I'm beloved." beloved. Well, how about be loved then? You are be loved. You're not just loved, you be loved. You are the beloved. That means you're always being loved by God. You are the beloved. The beloved's not limited no longer to Jesus. You're the beloved now because you've been put in the beloved. God put you in Christ so he could treat you like Christ. He put you in Jesus so he could treat you like Jesus. He put you in a safe place. You're in a good neighborhood. (laughs) Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in how many things? Now, religion would teach you that God only wants you to prosper in spiritual things, but that would be a lie. He said, I want you to prosper. And don't let the word prosper. because Listen to me. This is where your traditional teaching and traditional thinking will derail you and alienate you from blessings that should be yours. Oh, that's that prosperity preaching. Somebody said, are you one of those prosperity and, 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 and health and healing preachers? Guilty as charged. I'm sure not one of those broke, bent, sickness and death preachers. But you can find those. They're out there. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. The word prosper here just means to be successful. Now, who in here does not want to be successful? Successful at what? Everything. Everything. He said, I pray that you prosper in how many things? And be in health. God don't want you sick. Don't ever confuse what the devil's doing with what God's doing. The Bible's clear, John 10, 10. The thief comes, and his agenda is to steal, to kill and to destroy. So if there's anything, spiritual or non-spiritual, that is stealing from you, killing you, or destroying you, destroying your finances, destroying your body, destroy whatever it is, that's not from God. But I have come that they might have life. Zoe, life, God life. Not just life breathing air in and out, but the God kind of life. That's what that word, Greek, the, the word life is Zoe. It's the God kind of life. And not only do we have life, but have it more abundantly. So if you're, if you're, if you're keeping up, your, if you're awake at night worried about if you miss two paychecks, you're going to be homeless, that's not abundant life. If, you, if you're so sick in your body, you can't enjoy life, that's not abundant life. I mean, we, we got people that, that go to sleep tired, go to bed tired, and wake up tired. And the reason you go to bed tired and you wake up tired is because you got sleep but you did not get rest. You wake up, it looked like they'd been a fight in your bed sheets the night before. Because you're not resting. Your mind, your body went to sleep but your mind didn't switch off. Your mind needs to be renewed to think the God thoughts, to think like God thinks. And your mind's keeping you is keeping you in torment. And so don't think, well, I'm not born again. No, you just, mind needs to be renewed. Yeah. Renewed to what? Renewed to what? Listen, I'm not talking about you do something and then God will do something. No, God's done done everything. Everything you need pertaining to life and godliness has been deposited in you. I've explained maturity to you like this before. It's like if you, an, an acorn. Everything that that, uh, everything that, that, that uh, acorn, uh, that tree's going to need to be an oak it's contained in that seed. Everything, all right. And, and so when that seed goes into the ground, then we're going to get a sapling, a, a little small oak tree. Is that right? way they say it? Ivory? Is that right? And so it's a sapling, it, but it's an oak sap. It's an oak tree. It's not. It's not. Not a tree. It's a tree. But if you've got a mighty oak over here, this a fifty-year-old oak tree, and it and it's got big limbs and it's Got birds that are nesting in it, and it's making acorns by the bucketfuls. The deer hang out under it, don't they? <laughs> they love that. Okay, and, and and but but listen, the little sapling is still an oak tree, and and when it gets to be a fifty-year-old tree, it's not more oaky. It's still oaky. It's just not mature, so it's, listen. It's not able to manifest the fruit that one day it will manifest. Now, when you're born again, you're born again. You're as holy and righteous and saved as you're ever going to be. You may not be mature yet where you're manifesting all that God's accomplished, but everything you ever needed was put on the inside of you when Jesus was deposited in you. You you, you already have it. You don't have to get God to UPS it from heaven. It's already in you, Christ in you the hope of glory you've got everything in you that you will ever need to accomplish everything you, you is the the problem is not in your checkbook the problem is in your mind if you can fix it in the mind the checkbook will follow it's how we believe wrong thinking leads to wrong living <clears throat> i'm buying this cd myself Now, listen, I I pray that you'll be prosperous in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, your soul is your mind, your mind, your will, your emotions. So he's telling you that your prosperity, success, is tied to how you think, as a man thinketh. huh? Genesis 39, this verse here, I want you to see this. Genesis 39, verse 2 and 3. Now, here's Joseph. Anybody remember that guy? He is sold into slavery. Everybody say slavery. Really not a great position economically to be in. Okay? But this is not a fairy tale. This really happened and there was a real guy named Joseph and there was a real Egyptian master named Potiphar who bought this human being as his slave. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Can I tell you and remind you, the Lord's with you. I don't care where you live, what your address is, what your situation is, the Lord is with you. If you're born again, the Lord is with you. If you're not born again, he's there for you. The Lord is with you, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. God wants you to know from his Bible that you can be a slave in an Egyptian's home, and you can be successful because I'm with you. If I had a better job, if I had a better this, if I had a better that, then I could be successful. No, you can be successful in any environment that you're put in because your success is not contingent upon the environment. Your success is contingent upon who's in you and who's for you. Amen? Look at the next verse. And his master saw that the Lord was what? With him, You see an emphasis here? The Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper. The Lord is what makes you prosper. You're, it's not your s- smartness, your intellect, your education that makes you prosper and that makes you successful. It's God that makes you successful. God makes you successful. I'm not saying be lazy and don't do nothing, but God is the one that gets behind that. God breathes upon that. Now, this is a verse that really ticks people off that are anti-prosperity. Genesis 26, verses 12 through 15. Genesis 26. This is talking about another guy. This is talking about a guy named Isaac. Now, if you were to read verse 1 of that chapter, it would tell you there was a severe famine in the land. Severe famine. Now, what do you do when there's a famine? What do you do when there's a financial famine in your life? What do you do when there's a famine? What do you do when there's a famine of charmin? (laughs) Y'all just think about that while I get a drink. We had, a, we had a toilet paper famine. Oh, people would call each other. Oh, run down to this uh, Dollar General. I heard they got a truck unload some right now. You can get you some if you go hurry up. Where are you going? I got to go, go give me some toilet paper. And they would show pictures of people and they would have, you know, <laughs> they would have just closetfuls, because people are fearful. Well, what if we run out? You'll do, you got a magazine at the house? <laughs> you got all the baby. paper you need. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You go down to the uh, farmer brown's, buy corn cobs. Hallelujah. My granddad said that used to work. Uh, but people think differently in famine times. But Isaac knew that there was a famine. Look in verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land. What land? In that land. What land? The famine land. Now, most people don't sow in famine. Most people hoard up, hold on, and, and try to batten down the hatches. Oh, we got to make it. See, you're trying to make it. You think it's on you now. That's why you worry and have to take pills. Because you know you're insufficient on your own. But you're going to try it, though. You're going to have to have something to calm your nerves. Then Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Why? Because the Lord blessed him. I'm trying to get you to see something. The Lord blessed him, and look at this verse 13. This is the verse of aggravation. The man, God's trying to. This is this is by the Holy Ghost. The man began to what, and he continued what, until he became what, very prosperous. You think God's trying to say something in this verse? The man began to prosper. That would be enough. Period. End it. Go the next. Mm-mm. The man began to prosper. And I want you all to know he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. You got it? God's for prosperity in your life. God's for you being successful in your life. Now, for those that say, well, he's meaning spiritual, next verse, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great number of servants. So the religious crowd envied him. The Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father and they filled them with earth. Look down in verse 18, same chapter. And what did Isaac do? Isaac dug again the wells of his fathers. He dug the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and he called them by their names which his father had called them. Now what does all that mean? I'm trying to get you to see that it is absolutely biblical in God's heart for you to prosper and be in health and be successful in every, every area of your life. But if you listen to the wrong voices out here, traditional thinking would make you alienated from that belief and you will cut yourself off from things that should be flowing to you prosperity, blessing, success. I don't care if you're working as a slave in a master's house, God said, I'm with you and you can be successful. You can blame it on your skin color. You can blame it on the boss man. You can blame it on the man. You can blame it on Washington. You can blame it on the government. You can blame it on anybody. You can blame it on your mom and your daddy or the ones you knew or the ones you didn't know you ever had. But if you've got Jesus, you've got everything you need to be successful. They can't nothing stop you. They can't nothing prevent God's blessing. Nothing. And so, Redigging the wells of your father, some of you, listen, if you look back in your family history, I've explained it like this before. Some of you just feel like you should have more than you have having right now. Some of you should have more. You want more. It's not because you're greedy or something's evil in you. If you listen to a lot of religious Christians, they say you're supposed to be broke, and, you know, and, and the poorer you are, the closer to God you can be. That's just dumb as dirt. I've had money, and I've had lots of money to, to me, and I've had no money, and I, I like the lots. It's, it's just a better life that way. I've been where I couldn't afford to even go out to a burger joint on the weekend and eat a hamburger because I didn't have the money. And I don't mean a month, like, I mean years. And I've had it where I can go out to eat if I want to. I like the latter. I like it like that. So, are you still going to go to heaven either way? Either way. Either way. But it's not about God wants you to have life here and have it abundantly. Yes, sir. And so, redigging the wells of your fathers is sometimes just realizing that the re, it's not that God has stopped the flow, the enemy has come. The Philistines have stopped up the flow of what should be flowing to you, they have stopped up the wells of your fathers. Now, of what father? The Bible says in the New Testament, in the epistles, that your father is Abraham. Your father, you are are the seed of Abraham. Is that right? You are the seed of Abraham, and therefore Christ was crucified so he could bring you in. And everything that God ever said to Abraham, God said to you and I through Christ Jesus. It is in the Bible. So you just have to unstop all the trash and the dirt that's been thrown in that well that should be flowing freely to you. Now, Joshua 1 and 8 mentions this phrase. Good success. Now he said, I want you to meditate day and night on the Word of God. Not only meditate on it, but do what's written in there so that you may have good success. Now I want to clarify you can be successful by the world standard, but it's not good success. You can be a multi gazillionaire and, and the world would deem you successful, but in getting that money, you lost your wife, you're on your third marriage. Your children hate your guts and you have no, that's not good success. That's not God's success. So I want good success. How about you? Now, what do you give a person that has everything? Some people say, well, you're hard to buy for. This person's hard to buy for. They got everything. But what do you give a church as a, an apostle writing a letter to him that has everything going for him. Do you realize that the, all, all the letters of Paul to the New Testament churches are epistles, letters? The only letter he ever wrote to any church that did not contain a rebuke was the letter to the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. Not one rebuke is found. That church had everything, they had it every. It was going and growing. There was no rebuke from this great apostle to that church. And in writing to that church, in verse 17 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, this apostle said, this is my prayer for you. He said, now, I'm going to give you something to the church that has everything. He said, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know. Not but you may know, not hope, but you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe is according to the working of his mighty power. That's what you give a church that has everything. Second Timothy 1 and 9 says, he who has saved us, he has saved us and he has called us with a holy calling. Do you realize that you've been saved and if you have been saved, then you have a calling and it is a holy calling that God has on your life. You may not have discovered it yet, but it's there. Not according to our works. In other words, God says, I've saved you, called you, gave you a holy calling. Look at what it says, not according to our works. It's it's not because you've performed well enough, now God's going to do that. It's It's not according to your works, but it's according to his own purpose. According to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before there was anything called time. See, time has not always existed. Time began, time's going to end. Once you remove time, all you're left with is eternity. Eternity is normal, time's temporary. God said, When this thing is getting to the end, one angel's gonna put his foot on land, one on sea, and say, Time shall be no more. God allowed time and created it to be a temporary interruption in eternity to allow us to be redeemed. God said, I've called you, I've saved you. This is according to my purpose. You see, some of you are praying and asking God to bless your purposes. You've, you've already decided your life, your destiny, and your purpose. And you wonder why God's not working with you on that. Because it's not according to, his, to your purpose, it's according to his own purpose. God has a purpose for your life. And I promise you that you will be more complete, more fulfilled, and happier in his purpose than you ever will in yours. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 2, I'm about done. You can't say you didn't get no Bible today, though. Right, Abram, which we know as Abraham, but he's still Abram at this point here, verse fifteen, oh, chapter 15, verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Now, I want to ask you a question. Listen to me. I'm closing with this. What do you see? Not a trick question. I'm not asking you to respond. I'm just asking you to think for a moment. What do you see in this life and in this world for your future, for your today, and for your tomorrow. What do you see? What do you see? Now some of you look in your rearview mirror of your past and all you see is trauma and hell and you know, you have a glorious past. Everyone in this room has a glorious past because it was in your glorious past that Jesus hung on the cross and redeemed you. you. Have a glorious past. You just ain't looking back far enough. Now what do you see? Remember, Abram had been promised by God. Now, remember, listen, he was 75 years old. His wife is 65. He got promised by God a baby out of their own loins. Now, when you get a prophecy, you get excited. Ah, oh, glory to God. And if you're, if you're a newbie, you think it's going to happen tomorrow. And it can, and sometimes it does. But for the most part, those of us that have been at this a while, realize when you get a prophecy... You're kind of going to go through some things. Like when somebody prophesies to you, thou shalt be rich, God's going to bless you financially, you're going to move in the marketplace, and and you you won't even have enough to go out to eat next week. It's kind of like you're in Egypt, and you're in bondage, and Pharaoh's beating the daylights out of your back every day, and God sends a prophet in there called Moses, and Moses begins to prophesy, you're going to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. They ain't even got enough water to drink. You're going to have grapes as big as basketballs and you're going to have green pastures and and he just prophesies and they're going, yay. They don't realize between the promise and the fulfillment is a wilderness that they're going to have to by faith walk through. See, I've been at this long enough now. If I'm in a meeting and a prophet calls me out and prophesies financial prosperity, I'm going, oh, God, no. (laughs) Because I know I'm just going to walk through the very opposite of that for a while. Not by God's design necessarily, but the enemy, enemy heard that word too. That's why Paul told Timothy, "See to it that you make war with the prophecies concerning you. You got to wage a good warfare. You got to remind God. Now listen, God, you said this, you said this, you said this. And so uh, Abram said to God, He wants to blame God. Lord, God, what would you give me? What you gonna do about it? What you gonna do? Because all I can see. Abraham said, what do you see? I see, I go childless. And there's only one person in my house that's an heir, and you told me I'm going to have a son. Verse 5, then God said, come here. And God brought him outside. Now listen to me. God needs to bring you outside your environment, your traditional thinking, your same old friends that are always pulling you back into the crab bucket. He brought him where? Outside. Outside what? Outside the way he was seeing. All I can see inside is I go childless. What you going to do about it, God? God said, come here to me, boy. Come here. He took him outside and he said, and look now toward where? Look up. Look toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So in other words, what you see is what you be. At least you'll remember it maybe. What you see in your life is what you'll be. It's what you'll have. If you see yourself as not loved and unworthy and a piece of trash, then that's how people will treat you. See, the Bible says when they went in to conquer the land, the, the, the children of Israel said that there's giants there and we were grasshoppers in their sight. If you see yourself as a grasshopper, your enemy will see you as a grasshopper. If you see yourself as insignificant to be marginalized and worth nothing, that's how your enemies will see you because that's how you see yourself. But if you see yourself as a child of God, blessed of the Lord, highly favored, don't matter if I'm serving an Egyptian master named Potiphar, the Lord's still with me. And the Lord can bless me even in this environment, even on this job. No, this ain't the job I want. This ain't the money that I want to make. But God can bless me right here until he promotes me somewhere. God's got a plan for your life. And God says, what do you see? And he said, I see the stars. I can. God said, so shall you be. You shall be what you see. You see stars, that's what you'll be. He said, look at the sand of the seashore. Can you count and number every grain of sand? He said, so shall your seed be you know who the seed of Abraham is today? Everybody sitting in this room. You're part of the fulfillment of those stars and that sand. Now, I'm closing with this last thing. Remember the blind man that Jesus prayed for twice in the New Testament in the book of Mark chapter 8, verse 23? Jesus prays for a blind man. And this man was born blind. And so Jesus goes to this man, and like he kind of did with Abraham here, Jesus goes to him in verse 23, Mark 8. So he took the blind man by the hand, and look what he did with him. He led him out of town. Sometimes you've got to get out of town. You've got to get out from around your surroundings. You've got to get out around of what's so familiar and the, and the, and the, and the, and the unbelief and the doubt. You've got to get out from around that. of you got to get out to church in. Not this one, the ones watching me. You got to get out of that mess. Lying to you every Sunday. Telling you God's angry with you. God's judging America. God's doing this. Oh, my God. They, like, they got these two hurricanes coming. Whew. People just going stupid on social media with that. Already declaring that's God's judgment. God's trying to get their attention. God ain't trying to get no attention. That's just a storm. If it's coming towards your house, you need to stand out and rebuke it. Do what the Bible taught you. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes, now that always bothers people. If you're having eye trouble, if y'all will come up here this morning, I'll spit in your face and we'll get some healing going. Hey, I got a clear Bible for it, baby. You can't, I can do it. You said I can do it. I can follow Jesus. All right, so he says that he, when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything. How you see is what you be. Do you see anything? And, 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 and he looked up. Look where? And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. Apparently that wasn't good enough. He wouldn't see clearly. Sometimes you need to pray more than once about something so that you'll see clearly. Verse 25. Then he put his hands on his eyes. What? Again. And made him. Some of you need to be made to look up because you got your face looking in the wrong direction. You're looking in your checkbook. You're looking at yourself. You're looking at grandma. Looking at Paul. You're looking at whatever. Well, you're looking at your sins. Well, this is why? Because of that. No, it's because of your belief. Your mind needs to renew. He put his hands on him. He made him look up, and he was restored and he saw everyone clearly. Where where are you looking? And when you look in that direction, what do you see? Are you seeing clearly? If you're not, it's not a vision problem, it's a thinking problem. It's it's a thinking problem. Now, your spirit is born again, but your mind is in process. It's like a computer. I mean, you know, the, the old, I know it says for, but it's geeko, garbage in, garbage out, G-I-G-O. Garbage in, you'll get garbage out. I don't know where this come from my computer. It come from, because it was programmed in there. Our mind is similar to that in the sense that, that, that now you have to reprogram the way you, traditional thinking and all those kind of things that have hindered and stopped and alienated us from the life that should be flowing into our lives every day. And a lot of it is not, and people get confused. Well, God, no, it's, this is not God. God. God wants abundant life for you. He wants you to be successful in every area. He wants you to be successful and prosperous. He wants you to be in health. If you're not well, you don't have to learn to live with it. But if once you settle and go, well, I just, I, I've, always, you know, I've been prayed for, I've had this 20 years, I guess it's just going, I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. i just got to cope with this. The Bible teaches no coping. It teaches no learn to live with it at all. It teaches be healed, be whole, be well, be complete. That's what the Bible teaches. But you can reach a place in your thinking that you accept that. And that becomes your boundary that you set for yourself, not that God set for you. Some of us, if we're not careful, you allow your age to cut you off. Well, I'm this age, nobody would hire me. Really? Where'd you read that at? There's actually laws in this country to prevent that kind of thinking or conduct. Well, nobody would hire me. Well, nobody, it's too late for me to go to college. I can't do this. I can't, you see, that's stinking thinking. You can do whatever God's called you to do because you have a calling. How do I know I got a calling? You saved or not? Yes, you have a calling, and it's a holy calling, by the way. It's a holy calling because the Lord is the one that's called you. God's got a purpose. And all you have to do, Lord, what is your purpose for my life? Reveal it to me. Make it clear to me. But then start looking up instead of looking out and looking down. Look up to Him and and, and ask God to make it clear. Lord, heal me of my blindness. Let grace take away. The Bible says when when Ananias put his hands on Paul, the Saul, it says, it was as were scales fell from his eyes. You know what those scales are? That's religion. That's like religious cataracts. You, you, you having to look through all that mess and you don't get a clear picture of who Jesus is. Religion made me not see God clearly. It made me see an angry God, a God that was vindictive, a God that would not hear my cry. They would go to the Old Testament and they would read verses like, there's a day coming when you'll cry to God and he'll turn a deaf ear. He will not hear your cry. He will mock when your calamity cometh as a whirlwind. I was raised on all that. They scared the heaven out of me. Yeah, that's what they did. They scared the heaven out of me. And they painted a picture of a God that that I was afraid of, but too afraid not to go to him, but too afraid to really get close to him. They told me you get real close to God, he'll send you to Africa as a missionary. Listen. if God did send you to Africa as a missionary, you would love every, every moment of it because you'd be in the center of God's perfect will for your life. You don't ever have to be afraid of God's will. Everybody in this room, you're mail carriers, I was seeing that during the worship. I know it sounds weird. You don't write the letters. You just deliver them. Now, some of you are going to walk, and you're going to deliver them to your neighbors. Some of you are going to ride. Some of you are going to fly to other countries. And you're going to deliver the letters. One letter is there. One of us have in your little bag is all the epistles that the Holy Spirit gave these apostles. Those are letters. They're love letters from God to man. They explain God's purpose and plan. And they explain God's grace that you have to hire a religious devil to help you misunderstand it. But God has called you with a holy calling, God has equipped you. You have everything you need. You may not be a big old mighty oak yet, but you're still oaky. You may not be a big, mighty, mature Christian yet, manifesting fruit to all the nations, but you're still born again. You have everything on the inside of you. What you need is not packed up in a storage room in heaven. It's on the inside of you. When you want to talk to God, you don't have to literally think that God lives on the planet. He does, but yet he doesn't. God lives right here. God is six inches away. He's in your heart. He's in your spirit. He's in your life. He's in your breath. I mean, if it wasn't for God, you couldn't even take another breath. Amen. And when you, when you know that and your, your thinking's been renewed, then when you get up tomorrow, you'll approach the day differently. Yes, and when tough times come and problems and things hit you, it won't derail you. That's why I've been so amazed I told you about the Apostle Paul. This guy went through hell on earth. But you never see him one time accuse God. In fact, when he writes that little book of Philippians and he teaches the church about joy, and again I say, rejoice and rejoice, and he's in a Philippian, he's in a jail, sleeping in a dungeon. And I'm talking about a dungeon that don't even have any doors. They, they ha- it has a hole in the floor. I've seen pictures, and they lowered him by a rope into his cell. That, that's where he was for years. And from that cell, he told the re- church, and again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And he talked to us about joy and happiness. And, and he's writing that from a jail. And I, and I begin, and his back would, and he doesn't accuse God. He doesn't go, well, if I knew it was going to be like this, I would have never served the Lord. I had it better when I served the devil. You ever heard that one? I won't ask you if you ever said that one. I had it better when I was a heathen. I'm sure you did because you and the devil running side by sides. <laughs> but now the reason you're not having it so well because you're going opposite him. You're going contrary to the ways of this world. And so you're going to experience adversity. You're going to experience trials and tests and tribulation because you're not going, you're not in, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Amen. I don't know where you'll go. Maybe y'all leave here and go to some church where they'll encourage you a little bit. Y'all stand up. Man, y'all should be wanting to just high five chest bump knock around on the devil somewhere just show me where it was (laughs) if getting a bunch of the Bible's good for you you got a dose today. You got your spiritual B twelve shot, I tell you that. Amen. Give God praise for it. What you see? What do you see for yourself? What do you see for you today? What do you see for you tomorrow? You can be like Abraham and say, I see see barrenness. I see I'm childless. God, what will you give me? What are you going to do about this? God said, man, it's not me. Come here. Get out from around that mess. Turn TV off. Get off the internet. Come outside with me. Look up. What do you see? I see a whole lot of stars. He said, how about trying to count them? I can't count all them stars. So shall your seed be going to be just like that. Amen. So every time you doubt me, just take a walk outside yes, and look up yes, and be reminded again, this is my promise to you. Amen. And it said, I loved it when it ended, and I didn't read that verse, and it said, and Abram believed God. Yes, and it was accounted to him as righteous. And you know what happened with that? Sarah, Sarai, got pregnant. Now, Abram, on his birth certificate, it says Abram, not Abraham. And in those days, God is known as Elohim, Elohim. If you're really Hebrew, you have to get a little spittle on the mic. Elohim, Elohim, right? So God's Elohim, Elohim. Like any good covenant, you exchange names. So when Abram had walked 24 years and he was still known as Abram, And he got the promise when he was Abram. But he couldn't inherit the promise until he got into the covenant and believed it. 25 years later, he gets that boy named Isaac. And Abram got an H put in his name. And Abram become Abraham. Abraham. God took the H and put it in his name. And he was no longer Abram. And today, every one of us know him as Abraham because he went in covenant with Elohim. Sarai became Sarah. She got the H added into her name because she too is part of that covenant because she's in covenant with the one that is in covenant. Oh, I could preach that. Now, you are in covenant. God made a covenant with himself you did not make the covenant. You were not, you could not make a covenant. But God the Son went face to face with God the Father and entered into a blood covenant on your behalf. He was cut in pieces and walked among the pieces. And he went into a covenant for you. And you are not, you cannot, you, you didn't make the covenant, therefore you can't mess up the covenant. The covenant is in force. All you have to do is like Abram did, I believe it. And when you believe it, then the pregnancies come. The son's promise come. The finances that have been promised to you comes. Everything's been promised. That's when they come. You're not waiting on God. We're waiting on you to believe it. Do you believe the covenant? Do you believe what God promised you? Do you believe it will be so? Do you believe what God said? Do you believe that you're the son or daughter of God? And when you believe it, it becomes life to you. And no longer you're Abram, you're Abraham. And then God says, you know what? That was sweet of you to take my name. I'm going to take yours. That's how every good married couple does. So now I shall be known from this day forward as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. How did Isaac and Jacob get in? Because they papa's in. And if Papa's in all the seed is in. And who else is in that seed, according to Galatians? Me and you. We are the seed of Abraham. We can say, Father Abraham. We're in that lineage. We're in that seed. And so if you want to encourage yourself, you read the Bible, find every promise that God made to Abraham, and if you can receive it, that's your promise. That's why it says in Galatians that Jesus was crucified and resurrected so that the, so that the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles. He said, so that the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles, therefore he was crucified. Because See, we wasn't in the covenant promise. We was outside the commonwealth of Israel. We wasn't in the covenant. We were Gentiles. We we, We were not part of that. But God has grafted us in and made us part. And now we're just as Jew as any Jew ever has been. Galatians says, behold a Jew. Where is a Jew? A Jew is not one, he said, who is one outwardly. But a Jew is now one who is one inwardly. You want to see a Jew, behold a Jew. <laughs> Amen. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it to want it because I don't have to win it. He already winned it. I'm wanting it. Come on, are you with me? Bad grammar, but true anyway. Amen. I don't even know what time I didn't put no clock up there today. I don't know if I should preach a while longer. Or what. Oh, it's three. Look at that. I'm three minutes over time. I love you guys. Be encouraged, man be encouraged. Walk with your mind renewed to what God's done for you. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, put your faith in him. Believe in him. That's all God asks you to do. When that in jailer, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord. Don't believe that he existed in historical figure, but believe on him. Believe on him for your life. Take your everyday life. I love that message. Take your everyday life. You're walking around, living, eating, going to work, going to bed life. Take that life and offer it to God as a sacrifice. Because God, it ain't a Sunday thing. It's everyday life. Give it to God. Living sacrifice. And God tells you, you know what? He said, you're holy and you're acceptable to me. And that's just your reasonable service to walk like that. You're holy. You're acceptable to me. Now, present. won't you walk in your life and live like you're holy and acceptable to me? And the more you believe you're holy and acceptable, the more you live holy and acceptable. Because God's made you acceptable. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday.